Hey, this is Kelly Whiffen. Thanks for joining us today for the Encounter Church podcast. We all want to live lives of better decisions and fewer regrets. No matter where you are in your spiritual journey, we believe the next 30 minutes can be one of the most helpful and hopeful parts of your week. At the end of the podcast, stay tuned for a couple messages. Thanks again for joining us today. That brings back so many memories, right? Especially when I think about like a middle school breakup. I saw that video this morning. I was like, I probably shouldn't tell a middle school story, but you probably have one. I think we should see other people. Let's just go down this road for just a moment. Have you ever said that? Why do we say that? Because the other person is like, really? What's his name, right? What's her name? This is crazy, right? This is a series about love, dates, and heartbreaks. And in some ways, some of why it matters to us is obvious. But what's not so obvious is what we struggle with, what we have struggled with in the past, what we're dealing with in the present, and then what is going to come in the future. You, like me, we want our relationships to matter. And so really every February, we kind of take an opportunity to look at just a different aspect of love and relationships. And so both Chris and I are really excited to dive into this series No matter what your age is, no matter what your relationship status is, single, dating someone, married, you've probably asked this question and or wrestled with some form of this question. How do I find the right one for me? How do I find Mr. Right? How do I find Mrs. Right? Have you you struggled with that? Have you asked that question? I've asked that in the past, right, as well, because it's it's an important question. We should ask that. And today we're going to dive into a little bit of the myth behind that, even that question itself. Now, if you're single in the room, why does this matter to you? Because more than likely, you don't want to stay single, right? You want to be in a relationship. Now, I applaud and I've talked to people that are single and say, you know what, listen, I'm content right now being single. I'd like a relationship. I don't need a relationship. I think that's good. I think it's good to pursue a place of contentment. But this matters to you because more than likely, either in the past or right now, you want to be with someone. So this relationship question is important. How do I find the right one? If you're dating, it's still important to you because you may not want to confess this or you may not want to tell your spouse now if you're married. There's, there, it's very normal to wrestle with this question. Is this really the right one? Because most of the time when you're in a relationship, either for a little, for a little time or a long time, you have doubt. You ask these questions, is this the right one for me? Is this going to work out? How long is this going to work out? Even sometimes you have this doubt in your mind, like, I don't think this is the right one, but you're still in the relationship. So it matters if you're dating because you ask that question. Even as a pastor, I've talked to many people along the way. They're like, don't tell my spouse this. They're like, well, hold on, time out, time out. <laughs> Depending on what you're going to say, you might have to tell your spouse this, right? Or, hey, don't tell my girlfriend this or boyfriend, but I'm struggling with doubt. Now, if you're married so far, you can say, well, this, you know, this Sunday is really not going to matter to me because I'm already in a relationship. I'm already committed and I have someone. Let me tell you why it does. Because even if you're married, you still have doubt about the relationship. I thought about this this week. If I, if I could categorize all the times people come to me as a pastor seeking for counsel, seeking for help, seeking for advice, or maybe they're seeing someone else for counsel, there, there's two topics that come to mind. Number one, and it, by far, number two is far from it. Number one is the struggle in the relationship that they're in. 
And more times than not, at least for me and my story, it's a married man or a married woman that's struggling, and they still have doubt. It doesn't matter if you're a year in, 15 years in, or even 30 years in. You're like, I don't think this is the right. So if you're married for two things, you, you still have doubt and questions about your spouse, or you're interested in, in today because you want to stay that way, Right? So it matters. It doesn't matter if you're single. It doesn't matter if you're married. This matters to you. Let me tell you something about, about the Bible to set the, set the tone for today. The Bible, when we look at what, what does God's word say about this topic? How do we wrestle with this? Like what, what truth is there that we're going to look into today? And unfortunately for you, especially if you're single, I'll tell you this. The Bible does not tell us how to find the right one. So you're like, all right, we got this question out here. We don't have a good answer to it. But listen, this will be on the screen. He doesn't show us how to find the right one. He teaches us to be the right one. Let me just say it again for us. He does not, God, does not show us how to find the right one. He teaches us to be the right one. The Bible and God's incredible truth that we find throughout the scripture is full of relationship counsel, full of relationship correction, full of relationship advice, full of like pointing you in the right direction, correcting where you're wrong, giving us, giving us encouragement to do what is right. The Bible's full of it, right? But the Bible's not going to tell us or affirm to you that you've found the right one or that you're with the right one. But the Bible says so much about being the right one. So finding a partner is significant. And I'm not telling you, you shouldn't wrestle with that question because it's a great question to wrestle with, especially if you're single. Like, how do I find? Because compatibility matters. Personality matters. Especially if you are already considering yourself a Christian, a follower of Christ, like you, even your faith compatibility, all of that really, really matters. It should not be ignored. I'm just saying you're not going to arrive at a destination one day and says, I know without a shadow of a doubt, this is the right one for me. It's just not that easy. I even thought about today because I was a youth pastor for many years. I was like, what did I say? I know like students used to ask me this, high school students, college students, single adults in their 20s and in their 30s. What do I say to someone? Even if they ask, how do I know? There are some things that I've said before, and I believe is good counsel, but I, there's just no clear answer. It's right or whether it's wrong. But God does teach us how to be the right one. My mentor challenged me um, one time, and it was actually my tra transition between college and seminary. I felt a very strong call and a push to graduate from, I went to the University of South Carolina, and once I finished there, I really felt a strong calling to, to ministry. And so I stepped in and graduated from college and went right into seminary. And literally the day before, the day before, a very important day of starting seminary, I remember being in a mentor group with a mentor of mine, both Chris, the, the lead pastor here, and I were both in a mentor group with the chaplain at the University of South Carolina, one of the sports chaplains, primarily, you know, the football team. And so um, I was not a football player. Let me just say that. Okay, I know it surprises absolutely all of you, but I was a football player, but we were in his mentor group because a friend of our friend and invited us into this, and I remember him saying, hey, some of you guys are starting seminary tomorrow. Let me ask you a question. I'm like, all right. He always had these trick questions. Chris can affirm this. I'm like, this is a trick question. You know when someone asks you a question, you're like, I know the answer, but I know it's the wrong answer because you're just throwing me another curveball. He had some great questions. Hey, let me ask you a question, guys. Are you going to look for your, your spouse tomorrow? 
Like, all right, we just told this guy we're starting seminary. He went to the seminary. He, I believe, was a trustee at the time um, at the school. And he was asking, are you going to be looking for your spouse tomorrow? Now, I'm a single guy about to start seminary, and I'm going to be a pastor. Now, help me out here. I want you to say this out loud. What am I supposed to focus on in seminary? Can somebody help me out? Come on, somebody help me. Tell me the answer. I mean, come on, you're supposed to be you know, focused on God and your studies, right? And so I gave the spiritual answer. I thought it was a pretty good answer, by the way. I was like, you know, you know, Adrian, no, I'm like just focused on school. I'm focused on being a pastor, right? I'm, fo- I'm just I'm focused on that. I mean, if that comes, you know, that'll come. And he was like, you crazy. That's not a good answer. The answer is supposed to be Yes. Where else would you look for a spouse, right? Where else would you look for a wife? Come on, you're going to be a pastor. Shouldn't you kind of keep one eye open? I was like, I'll keep one eye open, you know? He goes, no, 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 keep two eyes open. You may meet her tomorrow. So actually, the very next day, I met my wife. I did. The very next day, I met Rachel. It was on a Wednesday. I'll never forget it. We met with Adrian on Tuesday morning. On Wednesday orientation, I met my wife. I had two eyes wide open. (laughs) And she did too. But she didn't like what she saw. <laughs> you laugh, but it's a, true, it's a true story. So we got into these orientation groups. I was like, I like her. She's pretty. She, you know, I like what she said. It was a little bit different because these folks were from all around the country. Imagine going to a new school. You're like, everyone's from all different parts of the country. I remember a guy was from Florida. There was a girl from Chicago. My wife was from upstate New York. I was from right there in South Carolina. And so these people from all around the country, it was just a, you know, different, you know, meeting people. But it was good. But when Rachel spoke, I was like, I like her. I like her. All right, Adrian, I found, I kept my eyes open. I found this girl. So I went right up to her after the group, and I said, hey, um, I'm Jason, and she always makes fun of me because I was wearing John Deere shorts, true story. And I was like, hey, so you want to go out? And she's like, no. I was like, well, not with me, you know, with some other people, Christians. I mean, not a Bible study, like, you know, just a group, kind of a group date. So I was like, I'll go to a football game. I got season tickets. You know, it's kind of the thing we do, you know. Um, She's like, maybe. I'm like, okay, all right, that's a a good start. So I fast forward. We were um, just friends, right? But about two months in, like, I just knew something was there. I was like, I think this is, I think this is Mrs. Wright. I think this is Mrs. Wright. And she was like, no, this is wrong. You're... (laughs) You're Mr. Wrong. So literally one day I, I invited her to go out to dinner. She was like, sure. On the way there, I've mentioned this story before in a very different sermon context about a year and a half ago. But some of you maybe heard this part, but some of you haven't. On the way to the restaurant, she's like, hey, by the way, I just want to remind you we're just friends. I'm like, hold up now. We're just on the way. At least you could let me, like, you know, pay for your dinner and stuff. About a month after that, we actually had our first argument. And the argument was whether or not she liked me or not. And so I was actually spending some time and energy convincing her that she liked me. She's like, no, I don't. We're literally sitting on a bench um, outside the campus. And I remember telling her, hey, we really got something going here. And she's like, no, we don't. And I'm like, yes, we do. Like, you're telling me there's not an opportunity? She's like, yeah, I'm telling you it's just not there. I'm like, no, 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 I'm telling you there is. True, True story, true story, all right? You know when you start a story by saying true story? You're like, why are you telling me that? I promise I don't lie, but true story, she actually went to the pastor here, Chris Causey, because we were friends. She actually went to Chris. She's like, you've got to tell that guy. You've got to tell Jason I don't like him. <laughs> this is a true story. Rachel, are you in the room? Okay, see? It's all true, in it, babe? Let me, tell you, let me tell you what my good friend did. He, he said, okay, okay, to Rachel, okay, okay. He never told me. 
What a kill friend. Thanks, Pastor Chris, wherever you are. He never told me what she said. I just kept pursuing, kept pursuing, kept pursuing, kept pursuing. And one day it all changed. She opened her eyes, you know. Relationships are hard. There's not a moment, even in my relationship of being married this, uh, later this year will be 15 years. There's not a moment that's just easy. There's not a moment where it just all makes sense. And it doesn't matter if you've been married 15 years or you're interested in someone for 15 days, right? It's just not easy. And knowing how to be the right one is a better question and a better struggle than whether or not you have found the right one or whether or not you're with the right one. Because I'm telling you, I would much rather have a conversation with someone single that's wrestling over that than someone that's been married a long time and still wrestling with that. God's word does have something to say. We're going to dive into it later. You don't have to put this on the screen. We'll look at it a little bit later. But the verse that I want to set the tone for today is when Jesus looks to his followers and to his disciples, and he says this, my command is this, love one another as I have loved you. This is my, my command is this, love one another as I have loved you. This is what sets the tone for this series on relationships. Love one another. And so today, in so many ways, I want you to not worry quite as much on whether or not you have found the right one or whether or how to find the right one. But rather, we want to turn that time and that energy and that attention towards being the right one. There are a few myths that we want to address today. Myth number one is you know, really the right person myth that we've been discussing already. The myth isn't that there's a right person. Here it is. Here's the myth. Once you meet the right person, everything will be all right, right? Once you meet the right person, everything will be all right. That's the myth that we all, in, so, in maybe different ways, in different, different words, we've all thought that. If I find the right person, everything's going to be all right. Is that true? It's not. Now, I'm not saying it doesn't matter. Again, the, the things that I mentioned earlier, the compatibility, the faith compatibility, making sure that you're aligned in some values. Yeah, all of that stuff is super, super, super important. While we're not going to dive into all of those things, all those things that are good and wise and right and thinking about how to deal with that as a single, how to deal with that as a married couple, all that really, really matters. But the myth and the assumption is that because it's good, because it's right, it's not going to be difficult on a multiple choice Question, I think you would all get this right. Relationships are hard, right? Relationships are not easy. And you can be in the very right relationship, the very right one. It does not mean that it's going to be easy. So what do we do? How do we deal with that? I believe Rachel and I have a great relationship. And part of the reason that I know we have a great relationship is not because, and this is a challenge because I know you all face it, doesn't matter what your relationship status is today, there are spoken and unspoken expectations, aren't there? I love it when you're talking to a, to a couple that's getting married, and I always address there's uh, certain topics, especially there's um, eight topics in this book that I use. One of those topics is on managing expectations. And a lot of young couples will say, we say, hey, what are your expectations of her? What are your expectations of him? I'd say four times out of five, not every time. People say, what about expectations after that question? I don't have any. Like, no, no, no. What do you, what do you expect her to do for you? It kind of sounds like, whoa, if I answer that question, I'm prideful or I'm like, you know, 
uh, you know, being macho about this, or even a lady answers it, I don't want to be controlled or anything, but just that question itself. We all have spoken and unspoken expectations. Managing those are super, super difficult. When you get into the relationships, you see them. You don't have to ask the question. You see them when someone gets upset. You see there's, a, there's an expectation. Even though it's not spoken, it's there. So it is a tremendous, tremendous struggle. Rachel and I, I would say this, it's not perfect, but it's a great relationship. And one of the core things, if you were to ask me, what makes a relationship great is managing the expectation. What makes a relationship great is not the fact that Rachel does what I want her to do for me. What makes a relationship great is not me doing what Rachel wants, right? Me meeting her expectation. What makes a relationship great is the fact that my wife, I can say this with full confidence to you today, she focuses on her. She focuses on being a good wife, not meeting what I think should be a good wife. She focuses on her. And I wrote this down even in my notes earlier. She is a great woman, and she's becoming a great woman. And my focus isn't on trying to do exactly what she wants and when she wants and how she wants it. Why? Because she doesn't verbalize that to me. She's not being demanding over me. My focus in my relationship is that I need to become a great man. And I need to focus on what it means for me to love her and to love her with all of my heart. In every relationship struggle, and we've had our struggles just like anybody. In every relationship struggle, when you get down to it, you know what the core issue is? You aren't getting your way. I want you to say it with me. This is a confession moment. Say, I am not getting my way. That was paltry. Come on now. Let's go. I am not getting my way. Now, you might not say this. If you do, watch out. But she isn't doing what I want. Right? He isn't doing what I want. I mean, at the core of it, there's even this kind of rhetorical question in the scripture. Why do you kill and covet? Right? Why, do you, why are these present struggles? The Apostle Paul throughout the New Testament asked these questions, especially in the, in the young Christian church. And at the core of all of it is the self, is the selfishness, because we did not get what we want. Right? And the core of the relational struggle is that we don't get what we want. And sometimes it's unspoken. And, you know, let me just let you off the hook just a little bit today, okay? Sometimes it's reasonable. There's even this quadrant. Is this reasonable or unreasonable? Or is it spoken or unspoken? Sometimes there is a spoken, reasonable request about what time you're going to be home. Hey, what time do you be home today? Six? Great. I'll have dinner ready. Is that spoken? Yes. Is that reasonable? Absolutely. So some of those, are, I'll let you off the hook, are reasonable. You have to deal with those things. But people don't come to an office to talk about a struggling marriage when it's reasonable and spoken. People come struggling with a relationship, and you are there, and I have been there. We, are, we have all been there, single, dating, or married, where we say, this is hard, this, is, this stinks, this isn't what I wanted, this isn't what I signed up for. At the core of it, somebody didn't get what they wanted. Somebody didn't get what they wanted. So it's not about finding that right person because he or she doesn't exist. What it is about is about being the right person. Myth number two is this. Promises are no substitute for preparation. Promises are no substitute for preparation. The myth behind this is that all we need, really, when we say this, all we really need is commitment. All we really need is commitment. A promise does not replace the need for commitment. A pastor, a friend of mine, actually he was a former pastor, more like friends now, and I, I love what he said. I never forget this series. This is actually just before I met my wife. 
And I remember this sermon. You know, those are, there's just a few like messages that you just remember. Maybe a few moments with a teacher, a few moments with your parents that stands out to you, maybe a grandparent. It's one of those moments that just really stuck with me on, around relationships, especially being single, wanting to meet Mrs. Wright, wanting to have a great relationship. I remember him saying, how do, you, how do you know you married the right person? I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm kind of asking that. How do you know that you're, how do we find the right person? And his answer, I was like, oh, that makes sense. But I don't like that answer, right? When he said it, I agreed with it. But I was like, okay, well, what now? And I remember him saying, you know how you know you married the right person? When you stand on the stage and you look to someone else and you say, help me out. I do. That's how you know. Right? His point was that it was all based on commitment. Right? But some, sometimes there's, a, there's almost a fallacy in there. There's almost, there's almost something that, that's missing. A commitment is the foundation. We're going to build on that in just a moment. A commitment is the foundation, but it's not all the answer. We can believe that if, we're just, if we just commit, we're going to be okay. If we just commit. And sometimes wedding ceremonies kind of sound that way, Right? We want to honor God, we want to honor each other, we want to love one another, we want to be selfless, we want to be committed, and commitment's the core, commitment's the foundation. But we don't believe that in a lot of other areas of life. Think about sports. What makes a winning team, right? It's preparation, not commitment. You don't stand around as a coach, if you're coaching a, a team, you don't stand around, hey guys, listen, I'm going to guarantee a win this week if we just commit to it. No, 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 there's a 50-50 there's a chance you're going to lose, right? Commitment does not pave the way towards, or excuse me, commitment does not ensure a win. Commitment paves the way for success. Let me say that again. Commitment does not ensure that you're going to win. Commitment just paves the way for your relationship to last. So commitment's important, but we need more than commitment, don't we? We need more than just commitment. Steve was right that day when he said that. When you stand in front of someone and you commit, you're in. If you don't commit, you're not in. But when you commit, you commit. And you'll hear pastors say this sometimes in a wedding ceremony. You talk about it being a covenant a relational covenant that God has designed for relationships, for two people to marry one another and to be committed to one another, right? That it truly is the foundation. So check this out. Commitment is the foundation. Commitment is the foundation. Faith is the power and love is the solution. Let me read it to you again. Commitment is the foundation. It is the foundation. Faith is the power, and love is the solution. So building on those three things, the first thing I want you to just kind of sink in with today is that the foundation of any relationship, either that you are in or that you want to be in, the foundational bedrock is your yes or your no. Jesus even said this when he said this, let your yes be yes and your no be no. You know what that means? When you say yes, you better mean it. Personally, I, I think most people would say I value honesty, right? It's a deep, deep thing for me, right? If I get, you know, how do you know what you truly value? It's what makes you often mad the quickest, right? If someone says something and just doesn't do it, fires me up, okay? 
I want to take my pastor hat off, okay? And just not be merciful, not be gracious, not be forgiving. It just fires me up. Like, we, we want our word to be our word. Anybody else get fired up about that? Come on, you say something, just do it. Now, I'm going to forgive you because life happens, and hey, I'll be there at five, and I'm not, I don't get fired up if someone's late, right? That's not what I'm talking about, right? I just mean... Being a woman of your word, being a man of your word, right? Let your yes be yes and your no be no. In relationships, here is the foundation for you. You say it, you mean it. Sometimes I'm talking to a couple. It doesn't matter if they've been married for a year or 20 years. In the back of my mind, this is just Jason, sometimes I think it's not going to work, even though I always believe. And sometimes people say this to me, but it's just not going to work. There's no way we can recover from this. Let me tell you, I've seen nasty. And, I, and, I, and I've been brought into stories that God has beautifully, through, through forgiveness, through grace, through love, through commitment, has redeemed. God can and will rescue any relationship that you're in. And I, when I say any, I mean any. But when I go human for a moment, when I just go Jason, I look at this, I'm like, it's not going to work. You know, one of, the, one of the only times I say that, I can truly tell they're not committed. One of the two, they're like, I don't want this. Well, you have to actually want this, right? You have to actually commit. Commitment is the foundation. But some of you would say, listen, we are struggling in this relationship, but we are both committed. That's why I say it's the foundation, but there's got to be something else. There's got to be something more, and there is. Now, faith is the power. When I mean faith is the power, you actually have to build on that foundation. I keep saying faith is, or the, your commitment is the foundation. You've got to build on that. Like you're committed, good, but what are you going to do? And actually when you come back next week, Pastor Chris is going to build on that. How do we build, right? Some of you are like, we're committed, but we're struggling, right? Some of you may say, we're, we're doing okay, but I'm not sure the commitment is kind of rocky. How do you build? We're talking about foundation. We want you to build. There are ways for you to build and invest in the relationship to grow and to make it stronger. But as a a man, I stand before you today telling you there is power in your ability, power in your ability as you express faith in a God who loves you. There is power in him. And there is power in him because of what God can do in you and in your spouse and in the relationship to make it beautiful again, even in my family even in uh, past relationships that I've been very close to, friends, I've seen God redeem brokenness and heartbreak in beautiful, beautiful ways. So have you. You've seen it. Some of you today could even say, I'm, we're still married, but it's only by the grace, only by the grace of God. No matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter how long you've been in the relationship, there is power in your faith in God. Because of what God can do in you and in your spouse and in the relationship, there is always power. And then the third thing I mentioned earlier, love is the solution. Love is the solution. Now, talking to couples, as I've told you about at the very end, when they hate, all right, we've been talking for a long time, what do I do? Help me out. It's always tied to love. It's always tied to your ability to love, not to condemn, not to point the finger, not to the expectations that they did not meet, not to the other person and what they need to do. If they would just, no, no, no. It's always tied to you. And some of you could reasonably say, listen, I'm trying my part, but he or she's not doing their part. I, I get it. You're, you can't control them. I wish that you could. 
I wish that you could, but you can't. You have to be responsible for you. I've even said this in my parenting a time or two, right? When I've said, listen, I get that he did this, but you have to be responsible for you. You're not responsible for them. And in disciplining, it's super hard because you're trying to, as as a father of two sons, you're like, I I know it takes two to tango, right? I know he did and this started, but you just be responsible for you. If you be responsible for you and not worry about what they did, then they can worry about them. If two people worry about themselves and choose to love, walls will be shattered. Every relationship can build, can, can make it. But it takes two people to say, I'm responsible for me. And that love is the solution. Jesus in John chapter 15, which is the two verses I want to just dive in today. Jesus in John chapter 15 gathered around his disciples, made a few incredible statements. By the way, if you're like, man, I don't know what to read in the Bible. I think it would be awesome for you this week to just take a few, take, even take, take a few days. And go to John chapter 15. Read verses 1 through 15. John 15, verses 1 through 15. I'm going to jump into the middle of this right here and just mention two verses to you today, but give you a little bit of context. This is just before, months before, Jesus would die on the cross. And why would he die? He would die as a sacrifice in order to be the forgiveness of sin for the entire world. That we believe as a Christian faith that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again from the dead. And when he rose again from the dead, he proclaimed the forgiveness of sin for all people. And in his message, he proclaimed that anyone, anyone, any country, any age, any person, any race, anyone who would believe in Jesus could have the forgiveness of sin. So Jesus was proclaiming his death, was talking about his death to come to his disciples. And there's a lot of animosity. A lot of people didn't like Jesus because of who he was. Here we have this Jewish rabbi claiming to be God. This is nuts, right? This Jewish rabbi, these stories that they watched of him healing people, these stories of him forgiving people, but actually the the Old Testament law, and if you were a Jewish, another Jewish rabbi, you'd get fired up because the law stated that some people, for instance, one time there was an adulterous woman, the law stated that because of her state, because of her choices and it being public, that she could be stoned. And Jesus ignored the law and chose to love her. Like Jesus did things different. So there's a lot of animosity. There's a lot of frustration towards Jesus. It just wasn't this guy with long hair, nice looking beard, being nice to people, right? Jesus fired up crowds all the time because of his, cho- his choice to love, because of his proclamation of who he was. So he got his disciples together and he said, listen, the time is coming when I'm going to die. And I want to tell you, if you stay close to me, you will bear much fruit. So he uses this analogy of a tree, which I'd love for you to read, this fruit-bearing tree, John chapter 15. If you stay close to me, you will bear fruit. You're like, I, I want to bear fruit, right? But, but listen what God does and what he says. But I'm going to prune you. Like anyone who stays close to me, and if you're a gardener or you like that kind of thing, right, if you, you understand the importance of pruning at the right time. So Jesus actually uses this illustration. He goes even deeper. He says, there's going to be this pruning moments. And listen, God knows he has been working on me. There have been pruning moments that have helped me become a better husband. Hard, by the way, when I say pruning, I mean like hard stuff. Like, okay, that was stupid. I shouldn't have done that. Why did I do that? There's pruning. There's pruning so that we can do what? Bear more fruit. He says, so if you stay close to me, you can bear fruit. But I'm going to prune you. I'm I'm going to work on you. But if you don't, if you choose not to, it's going to be really impossible for you to bear any fruit. 
and you won't be a fruit-bearing tree. And so it's, what, what, does that, what does that mean? It might as well, if there's a fruit-bearing tree that's not bearing any fruit, what's it good for? It's not good for anything, right? Might as well be chopped down and planted another tree. And then Jesus says this. Here's my command. All right, Jesus, I get the illustration. I get the point. I'm supposed to be a, a man or a woman of love. Okay, I get that. If I stay close to you, your power, when I said faith is the power, if I stay close to you, you're going to help me. You're going to give me your spirit. You're going to help me live out this faith. But then he stops and says, here's my command. Love one another as I have loved you. Here's what I want you to do. Love one another as I have loved you. And then he really almost answers the question, what does that love look like? Now, they knew what that love looked like because they saw Jesus forgive a woman that no one else in the crowd would forgive. They saw Jesus bring on children, and they would let children distract him, right? He would let them. He'd, hey, bring the children to me. Hey, they're not bothering me. Let them come to me. He saw, they saw Jesus love kids like no other man. Probably like no other, even among him, the Jewish rabbis, they were too busy teaching in the synagogues, right? Being with smart people, teaching religious law. And Jesus was like, the sermon can wait. Let the kids hang out with me. They saw Jesus touch sick men and women that no one else would touch. Because the law would teach, if they touch them, you're going to also be unclean. It wasn't just common sense. You're on sick people, you get sick. No, 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 this is bigger than that. If you touch them, you're going to gain that disease. You'll also be cursed from among your people. No, 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 Jesus touched them. And so in verse 13, he just doesn't say, feed the, feed the hungry like I fed them. He just doesn't say, touch the sick people like I touched them. Forgive the, the woman and the man or the man in sin like I forgave them. This way he says, greater love has no one than this, than, he lay, than the one that lays down his life for his friends. Now, this is Jesus speaking about his death. Why? Because he was about to die. And so what he was saying is, listen, do what I do. And guess what I'm about to do? I am about to die for the sins of all people. So this is your command. Love one another. The three things you see here is to follow Jesus' example. Is to follow Jesus' example. And there's no better way than to jump into what we call the four Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Four accounts of the life of Jesus. So there's nothing, there's no better decision you could make in your relationship than to learn what Jesus did and do the same. To follow Jesus' example. The second thing is to choose to love one another. Now this is like, all right, I got that. Jesus said it loud and clear. I know I'm supposed to love, right? But here's the challenge in relationship. Especially when there's a struggle, folks. Especially when there's a struggle. You're going to think about them more than you actually think about you. You're going to think about what they're not doing more than you actually think about what you are doing. You're going to be thinking about what they are, what they should be doing rather than what you should be doing. And so this is your command in the relationship. Choose to love. And that means forgiveness. That means grace. That means patience. Choose to love one another. The third thing is this. Lay down your life. Jesus said, I want you to do what I have done. So greater love. There's no greater love than the one who sacrifices himself. If you want to find the right person, you've got to be the right person. And you can't be the right person without choosing to love, following the example of Jesus, and laying down your life for the other person. Now, it sounds good. How do we do that? 
How do we really get to a point where we are being selfless? And I got to say, it's a journey. It's a journey. And even as I've been married 15 years, I'd say my marriage is strong and healthy. There's been there's ups and there's been downs. There's no greater joy in my relationship than when I will set aside what I want and just do what she wants. Ladies, can I get an amen? I thought someone would pipe up and say something. You know? At least Rachel, can I get an amen? Uh-huh. See? There's no greater joy in relationship than when you set aside you. There's no greater joy in that. Now, listen, even some of you right now are frustrated when I say that because you're like, if he would just do that. And I was just talking about that. You can't do that because it doesn't help you and it never will, right? It just never will. It's just, I know you want to do that. I'm guilty. I've done it before. You've done it before. But this isn't what Jesus did. You know what Jesus did? Jesus loved, and I, my mind just keeps going back to the adulterous woman who got caught and all the spiritual people around saying, guess what, Jesus, she should be condemned. The law says this, the law says this, and Jesus goes up to her after writing in the sand and the ground says, where are, your, where are your condemners? You know where they were? They all left. They were blown away at the love that Jesus had for her, and so guess what? They all left. Well, and so Jesus Loved her. Jesus forgave her. Now you got to deal with the issue, and Jesus did. He said, stop doing what you're doing. But he did that after he chose to love her. In your relationships, <laughs> don't worry. Don't worry, listen, about finding the right one. Just worry about being the right one. And if you're already married, when the question comes up to your mind, is this right? Did I marry the right person? Take that thought and just throw it out. If it comes back, Take that thought and throw it out. Don't worry about that. You worry about being the right one. You may say, I am being the right one. Good. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Let's pray. Thanks again for joining us. Did you know we've created a free app just for you? Whether you are exploring or want to grow in your faith, the app is a great place to start. If you found today's teaching helpful, we hope you'll subscribe or share it with your friends. We look forward to connecting with you on site or online at Encounter Church soon.